I'm Lean Printer, and this is The Motivated Classroom. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Motivated Classroom podcast. Falcha, bienvenue, and welcome. I am delighted to have the amazing Dr. Chris Martin here in front of me on a screen in another country. Hello, Chris, how are you doing? Hi there, Liam. Yeah, I'm good, thank you. How are you? Good, I'm good. Thank you so much for joining me. So before we go into talking to Chris, I'm going to introduce the topic a little bit. But obviously, this is the Motivated Classroom podcast. We must start with our little bit of Irish. So because we're talking about parental engagement and motivation today, the Irish word for today is Tishmahori. Now, that is the word Tishmahori. It's one word and it means parents. I'm not really sure of the roots there, but Tishmahori is the word for parents. So I'm going to try my best to introduce the wonderful Chris Martin, who I have never met in person, but we have exchanged lots of interesting research. I'm so happy that he's joining us here today. So Chris has 13 years experience of teaching modern foreign languages in secondary schools in England. Six of those was as head of languages. He is an honorary research fellow in education at the University of Wolverhampton and he's a lecturer in foundation studies at Arden University. His doctorate research focused on parental engagement in children's modern foreign language learning and how it could possibly impact on motivation to learn languages at school. So you can see just why I'm so interested to speak to Chris. He has recently published a book chapter with the incredible Dr. Ursula Lanvers on language options and the impact of parents' attitudes. And he's also presented his research at the European Conference on Language Learning, as well as the Conference on Multilingualism at the University of Reading. An incredibly impressive CV. So, Chris, before we get started, I think the first thing the listeners would love to know about a bit is, and me too, can you tell us a little bit more about your research and your thesis? Yeah, sure. So, first of all, thank you so much for inviting me along. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. So I'm sure there's a lot of colleagues out there that could probably relate to what I'm about to say. For, For the last 13 or so years, I've actually lost count of the amount of times I've heard a parent say to me, do you know what? When I was younger, I was rubbish at languages. And, you <laughs> yeah. know, have it, it, being in parents' evenings and consultation evenings and so on, and their child is sat there next to them. And they are there just saying, well, do you know, when I was at school, I was absolutely rubbish. I never bothered with it. And it got me thinking, well, you know, to what extent are these experiences and these attitudes of languages, the parents' attitudes of languages, to what extent is that actually being transmitted or being rubbed off to their child, you know, onto their child? You know, there are a number of parents, unfortunately, that do have negative views um, of languages and place little or no value on on language learning and uh, this actually really got me thinking you know I wanted to explore to what extent these negative views of MFL were actually being transmitted to their child. Bourdieu, Pierre Bourdieu and in, in his research on social reproduction and cultural reproduction he suggests that um, cultural and social values and beliefs are transmitted by parents to their children until such an age that their child can start to accrue their own so I wanted to explore, you know, the extent to which this actually is the case when transmitting views of, of modern foreign language learning. It's a fascinating topic, of course, because, you know, we talk a lot in this podcast about motivation and the, the psychological needs and what we can do within our classroom. But of course, there's an enormous impact on student motivation coming from outside the classroom and all of those sociocultural factors. But of course, the parents is an enormous thing. And I see it myself with my own students that they might be happy when I think that they've done something good, but they're much more happy when they're impressing their parents. So yeah. what were the main 
main kind of findings then, Chris, and, and that you'd like to share with, because mainly it's language teachers who are listening to this right now, is it what kind of things do we need to be aware of from your research? First of all, the, I mean, the, the initial descriptive data showed that uh, the sample of students that I that I had in my research study w- was not hugely motivated by MFL. Now, the size of the sample, just to give you an idea of the scope of how big my study was, I had 495 student questionnaires returned, but also the wow. parents were involved and they had their own copy of the questionnaire. And uh, I only received 107 parental questionnaires back now Mm. to me that spoke volume straight away and when I actually reached out to the schools to ask if I could approach the parents the schools immediately said to me do not expect a huge amount of engagement from our parents and that primed me really to to expect a fairly low level of engagement in my research but you know, those parents that did reply, I, I was able to, to do my, my analysis and it, it came out that there were actually strong to moderate associations between the student and the parent questionnaire data, which measured different types of motivation. So um, very much like your research, Lee, and my research focused on self-determination theory and looking at um, intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. So my questionnaires aimed to measure these uh, two types of motivation, as well as the idea of attribution. So students attributing their their success or failure in a language to internal or external factors. So students who are intrinsically motivated tend to attribute their success or failure to things like effort and willpower. Whereas those students that are externally motivated tend to attribute their success or failure to uh, something like task difficulty or just pure luck on the day. And there were strong positive associations between the parental data and the student data, which for me, again, that was that was quite significant because it, it just goes to show the extent to which parents could potentially have an influence on their child's uh, language learning. A bit more deeper analysis actually showed that the parental level of education had an effect on a child's sense of achievement, intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. Um, and the biggest one for me was parental ethnicity. It, it turned out that parental ethnicity actually had a significant effect on extrinsic motivation. Now, wow. there is research out there to suggest, um, I think it's Hall et al. in 2018, they actually talk of uh, minority ethnic families who come to the UK or who come to, um, to Europe to be able to offer better opportunities to their children. They actually use stories of giving up their education to be able to raise a family and therefore they actually their children rather say that okay well I feel as though I need to give something back to my family therefore I have to work hard at school another example is that they actually expose their children to manual labor to make them understand the value of education so the, the children who have been brought over to the UK from another country in order to better their education they feel as though they need to give something back to their parents. So that, to me, was a very interesting finding. But uh, in terms of the interview data, so my study was both quantitative and qualitative. In terms of the interview data, it wasn't shocking to me to hear that the perceived difficulty of the language is one of the things that always kept on cropping up in the interviews. But another interesting point 
was to do with language options and choosing GCSE languages. One or two of the parents raised that there were restrictions in their school, timetabling restrictions. So in, in English schools, for example, options are blocked and children have to choose a particular subject from each object uh, from each option block. But if you have the wrong combination, it may be that you can't take that particular subject. And nine times out of ten, yeah, we have that. You here have as that well. there, yeah. So it's usually the language that gets dropped, unfortunately just because the combination doesn't work. Yeah, I totally agree with you, Chris. It's really interesting that point about the blocks. I hadn't thought about it as much as that. You're so right. Often, particularly students who, you know, they may want to go forward and study medicine or biochemistry and therefore they have to take three sciences. And as exactly as you say, well, then they pick the blocks and then what gets dropped? The language. Exactly. Yeah. And that's actually really quite common to some extent. But, you know, it's not all doom and gloom. You know, parents do recognise the instrumental value of learning a language. They understand that it's, it's good to have a language to secure a good career and it's, you know, will help you when travelling abroad and so on. But I think what we need to do is move away from this instrumental view of language learning and have more of an integrative view of language learning and being able to... Okay, yeah, it's good for a job and it's good for travelling. But what about all of the other benefits, the cognitive, the linguistic, the communicative? What about all of these other benefits that people actually don't really make reference to? I couldn't agree with you more, Chris, on that point, because, you know, I think the way that we talk to our students and the way that we talk about learning languages has a real impact on their beliefs as they grow older, because we grew up being told that, well, you must learn French and you must learn German because it's useful and it'll help you to get a job. But as you say, there's such a wide range of advantages to learning languages, you know, and what I often try and say to my students is I'm not here. You're not here in the language class just to open your mind, but you're here also to open your arms. You're opening your arms to other people, to people who don't look like you, people who don't sound like you, people who don't act like you. And you're learning about them and you're learning about their way of life. And that makes you more accepting and it makes you a better listener and it makes you much easier to make friends. And there's all of these other benefits to it. And, and I do think that's one message I hope the teachers listening to this take away is that we can have an impact on our students' beliefs about language learning with the vocabulary and the words that we choose to use in our classrooms. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, I think that's really important. Okay, Chris, so this brings me on to my next question then. And I mean, maybe this is quite obvious for you because you've read around this subject area so much. But I think for all the people listening and for me too, why do you think parental engagement is so important for us as language teachers? Why do you really feel this is something we need to know about? Well, for me, ultimately, it, it's, it's parents who instill the educational values and beliefs in their children through their habitus, so the environment within which the children are raised. And if parents don't place a huge amount of importance on language learning, then we actually have to do twice the work. Yeah. <laughs> so we have to we have to not only encourage the, and motivate the children, but we also have to encourage and motivate the parents. So that makes our job as language teachers twice as difficult, if that makes sense. So those parents who do attach importance um, could be successful in encouraging their child to study a language. And my research actually showed that parents who do do this tend to guide their children towards doing a GCSE, particularly those parents that have studied a language before. Right. But what I've actually noticed is that parents who didn't study a language but see the value of it, 
they um, expressed uh, the, the, the wish for their child to do really well and to have the opportunities that they maybe didn't have when they were younger. And some parents even regretted not doing a language. Mm. Um, and some of them are doing things now through Duolingo and using, you know, apps and so on to rekindle, if you like, the uh, the love that uh, that they had for languages. But yeah, to, in, to answer your question, why is parental engagement important for us as language teachers? It's the parents that instill these educational values and beliefs. And I yeah. think if we can get parents on side and recognising the the intrinsic values of, of learning a foreign language, hopefully through their habitus, through the environment in which they bring up their children, these values will be tra- will be transmitted. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, really so important. You're right. Just the parents' values are, are going to feed down into their students' value or their students, their kids' values. So that's that's a, such an important point. And it makes me think of that. Uh, is it Amanda Holden at the Eurovision? And when she, you know, oh, tried gosh. to pretend <laughs> to be terrible at languages like that, that is all the kids <laughs> listening to that from England and the UK are suddenly then thinking, well, I don't need to be good at languages. And as long as yeah. I speak English, like so, yeah, the words that we use as adults are really important and how the the kids listen to what we're saying and I guess that brings me to my next question Chris which of course a very easy question (laughs) how (laughs) can we as language teachers improve parental engagement the million dollar question how on earth do we do it that is the million dollar question isn't it (laughs) um I think for me the school's ethos is really important and if schools have a close relationship with their parents then to me, that's half the battle, personally. And I think this idea of maintaining close contact with parents is really important. In independent schools, for example, there does tend to be more contact with parents than in state schools. Um, okay. And that has certainly been the case in my own experience work from working in both sectors. Because, of course, if you're working in an independent school that is fee-paying, parents are going to want to know where their money's going, aren't they? Exactly. (laughs) Um, Which is the reason why they would probably maintain a lot more contact with the school. But in the state sector, parents tend to really only have that um, contact with teachers through parents' evenings or receiving a report and so on. So, um, you know, that, that idea of maintaining regular contact with parents, not just necessarily to do with school related stuff, but also language related news and celebrating, you know, the successes of the of their children, so celebrating national holidays of target language countries, getting mm. parents involved in the International Day of Languages in September, yeah. engaging with with colleagues on Twitter. There are so many fantastic ideas that yeah. are shared with us all, particularly when I did the the MFL chat on Twitter. There were some superb examples there. But just encouraging, you know, encouraging parents to become actively involved in homework activities. I like to do something called Quizmaster, where the students actually create their own quiz cards. French on one side, English on the other. The parent shows the card with the the, the, the language on one side. The student has to say the, 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 what the word is. If they win, they keep the card. Or if they don't, the parent keeps the card. So it's, you know, just this idea of gamification and it's just bringing 
bringing in the parents and just getting them involved. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you, Chris. I think that is so important. Getting the parents involved in the first place is key. And one, one of the things I like to do at the very beginning with my students. So when my students start Spanish, they're in year eight, which for people listening, their age, about 12, something like that. What we will do is we start the unit and we start the year as they always do with some storytelling. We build a character. And when we've written our first story together, so we co-create a story, of course, largely led by me, but with their ideas. And we've done it in class. And then it's about one A4 page. And then I ask them to take it home and I ask them to read the story in Spanish to their parents, but also to translate it into their mother tongue. So whatever that happens to be that they're speaking in their home. And then at the bottom, it's just it just says any comments from the parent or parent comment or guardian comment, not asking, did they do well? Did they do badly? Just a comment. And it's fascinating because most times the parents will write really positive things like, wow, I can't believe he or she can read this much already in just six weeks and can tell me this basic story. It's really funny and this is wonderful. But it gets them just part of the learning experience of learning a language and they're more involved and then they see the value, they see the happiness that their child has when they're reading it. So any ideas like that. And that's kind of like what you said about getting involved in the homework. So yeah, that's a that's a really nice one. That's a great idea. Yeah, definitely. And it's about uh, you know, we don't have a huge amount of uh, contact with parents normally on a daily basis. But by doing that kind of example that you've mentioned there almost brings the parents into the classroom yeah. to some extent because it's making them aware of the learning that's going on and it's celebrating the successes, like I said a moment ago. This all, this all contributes. It goes some way to contributing to that. And I think, Chris, what you said earlier about the ethos and the mission and the vision of a school is actually so important because... If a parent walks into a building and to the school and they feel like their mother tongue, their home language, whatever that may be, and no matter how minority in inverted commas that language is, if they feel it's celebrated and it's useful and that the school recognises and respects that language, if you speak Gujarati or you speak Dutch or you speak Swahili or you speak whatever, you know, I think if they see that on the walls or they see bits and pieces of the languages of the students in the schools and we, we recognise the home languages we think they're great there's Polish over here there's you know we've got some French over here we've got some Pakistani over here whatever it may be I honestly think that that really helps with the parents to feel like oh languages have a place in this school and yeah. not just French and German but also my Gujarati or also my uh, Flemish or also my Swedish you know whatever it may be I think that is would you agree with me on that? Yeah totally totally so I work in, in Birmingham and Birmingham is a multicultural city and you can walk into some primary schools in Birmingham and there could be easily 30 or 40 different languages that are spoken Amazing. within that small primary school community, you know, centre of London in, in the large cities. And just celebrating this linguistic diversity just goes so far to raising the profile of languages within the school. Absolutely. And, you know, this to me is really, really important. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with you. If that's one thing people take away, celebrate the linguistic diversity of your students. It's so important. And don't ask them to leave their identity at the door. Celebrate that identity. Totally. So yeah, thank you so much for all that, Chris. Such really insightful, fascinating things for all of us teachers to think about. And I guess most of the people listening to this are language teachers. So do you have any kind of practical tips or 
things that they could be doing within their own classrooms or the words we use or I'm not really sure if that makes sense but what kind of tips could you give to the language teachers who are listening to this as someone who has studied parental engagement motivation and language learning? I don't think we probably have enough time to (laughs) to go through a lot of the things that I've said in my thesis but um, the first thing that comes to mind for me is about making sure that schools actually provide information on the language curriculum that is accessible and written in accessible language and avoids using you know dense linguistic terminology that may not necessarily be accessible to all parents that's a great you know if we send out curriculum information and we're explaining to parents oh this term we're going to do the past subjunctive or we're going to do relative clauses and we're going to do embedded clause parents who've never really studied the language are going to switch off completely because they don't they can't relate to those concepts so actually putting it into accessible language and making parents aware of what their children are going to be learning but in 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 a language that's accessible to them is is really important there is research actually to suggest that some parents disengage with school activities due to a perceived power dynamic so what do i mean by that some parents actually see teachers as superior and some parents feel inferior or even embarrassed to to visit school whether that's through a lack of confidence or whether their own negative experience of schooling and some parents feel uncomfortable with this kind of dynamic and therefore they disengage with school life and supporting their child in in school and you know at at home and so on Uh, because of their own self-efficacy they just don't feel confident to be able to do that so maintaining regular contact with parents could go some way to changing this perception Mm -hmm. but again it's about regulating the language that we use it's about talking to parents in a language that they will understand and just, you know, regulating the amount of terminology that we use when we're discussing things with parents. Um, I think that's really, really important. I think that's such a good really practical good tip Chris because you're so right sometimes when we write little reports about what we've been doing in the semester or you know we have a tendency to try and put in some of that you know linguistic knowledge almost to show that we are experts in the field like almost (laughs) to be like oh we did some relative clauses followed by the you know subjunctive pronoun blah 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 but then, of course, yeah, the, t- the parent switches off and thinks, well, I can't talk to that teacher about it. But if we put it into language, like we learned how to tell a story in the past and talk about our holidays and things that we did together with our friends and we talked about, you know, inclusion and diversity. And then maybe the parent will go, oh, that's kind of cool. Like, oh, I'd like to know a little bit more about that. I think that's a wonderful tip. Yeah. Is there any pitfalls then that you think we should avoid? Like anything? I mean, you've mentioned the dense language. Is there anything else that, that comes to mind that you think we should avoid to make sure that we keep the parents on Yeah, actually. Um, I mean, keeping parents on side, but also keeping the children on side as well at the same time. I think what's really important is that I I think you mentioned this in one of your previous podcasts, Liam, is, you know, avoiding at all costs this idea of frustrating classroom experiences and, you know, where where children actually become demotivated by some of the activities that we do. This idea of mundane, monotonous activities, copying from a book or a textbook. If a child goes home to their parents and says, oh, I've had another really boring French lesson because all we've done is copy out of a textbook. What is that actually going to say to the parents that that's all that, that is that all my child is doing in their language classes? So it's avoiding this idea of frustrating classroom experiences. And the other point I wanted to make was 
we can actually also have our own frustrations as a teacher. You know, we are in a set, a set of circumstances at the moment where we're facing change at an unprecedented pace with moving teaching online due to the pandemic, teacher assessed grades here in the UK, proposed changes to the MFL qualifications. We are all human at the end of the day and we get stressed and we get frustrated at times. And, you know, that can't be helped. But we are also professionals and we need to we need to make sure that we self-regulate and that we make sure that our frustrations, you know, are not transmitted to the children as well. Because it's not only parents that are transmitters of educational values. We are as well as teachers. You know, for me, I think that's a really important point. I completely agree with you. This is music to my ears. <laughs> Two things you said there, Chris, that were just so important. Number one, those mundane, demotivating experiences, they are within our control as language teachers. And I don't want teachers listening to this to be like, oh, but, you know, I'm trying my best and I'm trying to make it engaging. I know you are. And the fact that you're listening to this podcast podcast means that you want to try and do things differently and you want to learn from different people. So that's a really positive step. I always say if you feel like your students are disengaging and they're demotivated, think about have they got autonomy? Do they feel competent? And is there some relatedness? The three pillars of motivation. But also, of course, is to keep things interesting and different and just try throwing something out that you've done for years and try something new. Just one thing, not so that you're overwhelming yourself, just one thing in one unit maybe and see how that goes. Because you mentioned it just there, Chris, and it's so true. There's quite a lot of research. I mean, unsurprising research, it's quite obvious, but there is research out there that shows a motivated teacher leads to a motivated student. As in, if you are motivated and passionate about what you're doing in the classroom, then the the students also become very motivated and passionate. But if, as you just said, if there's all these forces acting upon you and you just, you feel like you can't breathe, you can't plan, you can't do a good lesson because your school is telling you to do this and you got to teach online and send this report and do all these things, there's no autonomy for the teacher. So you don't feel motivated. So there's a lot of learning there for school leadership, for students, for teachers, for everybody. So thank you so much for bringing that up. Well, Chris, we're coming towards the end of this. I could talk to you all day, as I say, to so many of my guests but it is so true I wish my episodes were five hours long but the listeners would not wish that 30 minutes is what they want so I try and keep it to that so for those teachers listening right now Chris what are your three key tips or takeaways that they should bring into their practice in order to improve motivation and parental engagement the first one that I would say and this is a big one for me and that is maintaining good working relationships with the parents of the children in your classes through regular communication, celebrating successes. And this could hopefully break down any barrier that parents may have with engaging with teachers and engaging with the school. So that could be the first one. The second one is to do with sharing information about the language curriculum and the assessment dates as well. So parents know what's expected of their child. Even if they can't support their child linguistically, that doesn't mean that parents can't ramp up the emotional support and the moral support at the time of assessments. Even though, you know, the linguistic capability may not be there, the moral support and the emotional support could be. So having an awareness of when those assessment times are and also the curriculum in an accessible language. And finally, this ties in with the point I made earlier. We are, as teachers, only human 
And there are times where we can become so frustrated with what's going on around us, workload, changes to the curriculum and so on. It's about making sure that we are self-aware and that we don't, well, that there's no risk of transmitting these frustrations to the students that we have in front of us. We are also transmitters of educational values as well as the parents. I could not agree more. It's so true. And, and you know, I hope that when listeners listen to this, I hope we're getting that across that I really don't ever want you to think as listeners that we're trying to say you're not doing a good enough job. That is absolutely never the point of this podcast. The podcast is there to support you, give you some ideas and help you to motivate your students. But we know we are all struggling to just get through these crazy times and trying our best and as Chris says we just have to really be mindful to not allow our frustrations with things that are going on to be transmitted to the kids I think that's such a such an important point point. and then finally Chris do you have any books or websites that you'd like to direct the listeners to that are related to the parental engagement and motivation remembering of course that most of them are teachers and not necessarily researchers there are two uh, two books in particular that I'd like to uh, that I'd like to share with you the first one is a bit of a shameless plug if I'm honest I have a, a chat in um, a recent book, as I said, with um, Ursula Lanvers from the University of York, and it's entitled Language Learning in Anglophone Contexts, Challenges, Practices and Ways Forward. And there are lots and lots of interesting chapters in there on CLIL. And there's also um, a specific chapter, um, Liam, on the place of foreign languages in the Irish education system. Fantastic. So that may be an interesting chapter for you. I can get that over to you if you like. (laughs) You know what the listeners want to hear, Chris. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, secondly, the other book is by Professor Sarah Mercer and uh, Professor Zoltan Dorney entitled um, Engaging Language Learners in Contemporary Classrooms. And it's a very good book. It's very accessible, relates theory to practice in a clear and an accessible way. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Chris. It was an absolutely fascinating conversation and I'm sure the listeners got a lot out of that. Thank you for having me. Bye-bye. Now, listeners, of course, that was a brilliant discussion, but we always need to end with our word of Irish for the day. And today it is the word Tishmahori, which means parents the really important word what we've been talking about this entire time so don't forget that one a huge Gurumila Magath to Chris for joining me today remember if you are a fan of the podcast if you listen regularly go check out patreon.com look for the motivated classroom if you feel like supporting once a month with a bag of crisps or a coffee that would be fantastic and if not no bother whatsoever just keep sharing with your friends and colleagues and listen for free it's all good so thank you so much Gurumila Magath agus slán awalia the Motivated Classroom podcast is an original production by Liam Printer. I'm at Liam Printer on Twitter, and my YouTube channel is Liam Printer The Motivated Classroom. Full podcast notes with links to resources are available on my website, liamprinter.com. For more, find and follow The Motivated Classroom podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Graphics and music are provided by Paul Mahan. Intro clips are thanks to the wonderful multilingual staff at the International School of Lausanne.